Thank you for coming. Thank you for choosing to worship the Lord with us here at Cornerstone. And uh, if there's anything that we can do for you, please see us out in the uh, front there on, the, on your way out. We'd love to greet you and get to know who you are. For those of you who are home folk, I just want to say um, thank you from the bottom of my heart, from Sheila, my wife, and, and our three children. We've been out here for almost six years and in August, I can't believe it. Um, but the way that you guys have embraced our family, the way that you guys have um, brought us into your lives, uh, some of you, we've been able to be a part of your lives in the most um, celebratory times uh, throughout your journey. But for others, it, it, it may be the saddest time that you've ever experienced. And for us, we just feel it a privilege that you would give us the honor of being there for you and for doing ministry, not just as an act of what we do, but really just living life with you guys. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate uh, that privilege in my family. I would share that same. Um, take care of a little business first. If you do not have one of these coming in, you'll need one. They're, uh, they're notes, and Todd mentioned a couple of weeks ago that um, the speaker would have an interpreter. I don't have an interpreter. I just have notes, so um, help yourself to those. You will need them, and also Bibles. You will need your Bibles because we're going to be going through um, 11 verses in Romans chapter 5, so... Uh, Greg and the team will have both Bibles and uh, notes, so let them know you need one. Now, I promised Todd that I would leave out all my Southernisms when I got up here, that I would not throw out a bunch of cliches, and, and, uh, and as I was telling him that, it dawned upon me, I was reminded about an email I saw about this uh, couple who were retiring and and were so excited they'd went and bought a motor home and they loved the idea of just traveling the country. And so the lady was really, the wife really got excited about it and she started planning the trip. And so she was writing and said, you know, the first night we're out, we're gonna, it's going to be special. So we're going to find the perfect campground. So she sends off the email to the campground and she's writing a bunch of things on there. And she comes to the point where she really wants to ask about the toilets and so she thinks, I'll just write toilets, and she finishes writing, rereads it, and goes, no, that, she's a southern lady, so that wasn't quite good enough. So she said, I'll just write bathroom commode. So she put bathroom commode in there, thought that sounds better, just still didn't feel good about it. So she thought, okay, I'll put BC in there instead of bathroom commode. So she hits the send button, the guy at the campground, he receives the email, and he starts looking at it, he's reading it, and he's thinking to himself, B.C.? I guess that means Baptist Church. <laughs> so, he writes back, and he says, thank you for your interest in our campground. Your letter came to me, and I wanted to inform you that our B.C., is nine miles from the camp. 
and it's capable of sitting 250 people at any given time. I admit it's a long distance away if you go regularly, but I'm pleased to inform you that many people take their lunch with them and they make a day out of it. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time while we were there. It pains me deeply not to be able to go more regularly. But it is no lack of desire on my part. If you decide to come to our campground, perhaps maybe I could go with you the first time and sit with you and introduce you to all the other folks. Remember, this is a friendly community. Okay, no abbreviations today. Just uh, straight at you with the southern draw or whatever you want to call it. But here we go. My heart for you as people of this body, first and foremost, is that you would become followers of Jesus Christ. And through that act of obedience and willingness to be a follower of Christ, that you would begin to understand in incredible ways the benefits that come with us being believers and the work that Christ has accomplished. He's completed for us and that we would take hold of that, that it would not be just old news, but it would be new and refreshing every moment, every day. And from this incredible relationship that we would live with great joy and freedom. Oh, how good it is to hear the laughs of God's people. We have so much to be joyous about, so much to, to celebrate. And today what we're going to do is we're just going to worship and celebrate God for the benefits that he gives us. We'll be looking at nine specific benefits that God has just basically said, here they are. They're yours. They're free It won't cost you anything but dying to yourself, which is everything, right? You see, there are times in our journey of faith when we need to just pause. We need to just hit the pause button. We need to take our eyes off of the world. We need to fix our gaze upon Jesus. And we need to remember who he is. We, We need to remember what has been accomplished through him. And so that's my desire this morning is, um, is I'm taking a huge risk because if I present these things, number one, some of you, they may sound like old hat. My heart is that you would receive them as new living water. The second thing is that I won't give you a lot of go do this, go do that, because This morning is not as much about what to do and why we should be about being busy with Christian activity, but it's more about whose we are. It's more about reflecting on what he has done for us, not what we can do for him. Because if we understand that, and this was Paul's whole encouragement to us, if we understand that, the doing will take care of itself because there's a power within us and, and there's the benefits of God that we can reflect on that will direct our steps. You see, because these were not given to each of us for uniformity. But they were given to us for unity. 
to build unity not only in our relationship with God, but to build unity within the body. And when God has unity in his body, in his people, and he's called them out and he's set them aside, and there's unity there, there's power in that. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And my prayer is that as we gaze at God, that the Spirit of God will give you one of those aha moments today. A moment when you become so overwhelmed by God and what He has done for you that you will do anything and everything that He would ask of you to do. And it would so compel us by love, empowered by His Spirit, that we would never think twice about doing something beyond our own abilities, our own giftedness. But by faith, we would depend upon God to do it through us, for us. So, got your Bibles, Romans 5, read along with me. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. And in your notes... There's nine benefits. And so as I read through these, um, don't cheat. Some of you already want to look at your notes. Don't look at your notes and see if you can pick out these benefits as I read along. And then we're going to come back and we're going to unpack each one of them. All right? Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God, he shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me pray. Father, may the truths of these 11 verses so conform our minds to who you really are, so shape our hearts to why you would do something so extraordinary, so incredible as to send your only son to die for us. And then not to leave us to ourselves, but to empower us with yourself being the Holy Spirit living within us. So I pray that you would be honored today as we think of you and as we talk of you. Help me to be clear in communicating all about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to give you a little uh, um, theology lesson here. It won't be long, trust me. If you know me, 
Um, it will be real short. Um, up until this point in Romans chapter 5, verses one, uh, chapters 1 through 3, what Paul has done is he's started with doctrine. He started with some theology, and the theology was we're sinners. The whole world is, is full of sinners, and because of that, that sin has separated us from a holy God. And because it separates us from a holy God, there has to be a solution. And so what Paul is doing is, if you've read Romans 1 lately, or uh, even Romans 3 lately, you, you see how desperate and sinful that we can really be left to ourselves. You can identify with our fleshly patterns of being all about us and losing the reality that we're sinful man and we need a redeemer. And so Paul is going to kind of shift gears and he's going to introduce something. He's going to introduce faith and grace. He's going to introduce a term called justification. It's basically meaning we've been declared right with God, our creator. And we've been declared right not by anything that we've done, not on any of our merits or works, but solely based on Jesus Christ. And he brings Abraham in in chapter 4 because the Jews are going to, you know, he's anticipating their questions. And he uses Abraham as, as an example. And he says, Abraham was not counted righteous because of obeying the law and his good works. No, he was counted righteous because of his faith. And then we come to verse uh, chapter 5. And Paul has a huge therefore that he starts off the chapter with. And uh, in Romans especially, Paul will often start off with this therefore after he's kind of waxed eloquently through some doctrine. And, and so here he is. He has a big therefore. Now, here's your theological lesson. Anytime we're reading the scriptures on our own, and we come across a therefore in the scriptures, we need to stop and we need to see what it's there for. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, I told you it wouldn't be much. I warned you. Um, now, because of the therefore, what does it do? It points us back to what has been spoken of. And so Paul's laid this whole thing out. We're sinful, we need a Savior, we need a Redeemer. It's not anything we can do, it's by faith alone. And then, therefore, because of all this, there's some things I've got for you. And he lays them out from this therefore in a descriptive way. Now, there are two types of therefores. There's a prescriptive, sounds like the word Prescription, right? Sounds like, hey, take two aspirin and call me in the morning kind of thing. That's a prescription. Paul uses a, uh, that in a couple of other areas. But in Romans, especially uh, throughout this book, he's using a descriptive. And the descriptive form literally means the who, what, and where. And so, um, in other words, Paul's not going to use a list of do's and don'ts. Now that... Chapter 1 through 4 has been given to you. Paul's not going to say, now, go make your list and get ready to go do something. Right? No, what he's going to say is, he's going to write a description of what he just spent four chapters writing. And he's going to make it very clear to us. And so, I want to make sure that 
as we're going through these, that we understand that Paul's not disconnecting us from the doing of our Christianity. But what he's doing is he's engaging us at a heart level, at a motivational level, that we answer the why we do what we do versus what we do. You see, for me, I'm wired in a way that if it's activity-driven or if I'm busy a lot of times, it's easy for me to just jump in the momentum and in the flow and the seasons of life come and there's a shared interest over here and I can jump right in and just kind of fall into the current and go. No, for me, this is really difficult work because it's stopping. It's slowing down and it's, and it's admitting, God, it's you and me alone. And sometimes that's hard for me because I'm, I'm much better with a checklist. Just give me the things to do and I'll go out and do it. And many of you, you've been challenged throughout your Christian life. A lot of you, in fact, this morning probably feel very defeated because you've looked at that checklist and it's brought guilt about you. Well, this morning you're redeemed and the scriptures are going to say so. And so from that, that's how we're going to move forward in serving him. And that's my desire for us as a people at Cornerstone is that we live in this freedom, we live in this joy that is inexpressible and full of glory because it's based not on circumstances and situations, but it's based on God. So the first attribute, we're going to run through these, is peace. Verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it another way to Uh, The Philippians in his letter to them, he said, The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace that Paul's talking about, it's an instant peace. It's that peace that comes the moment we surrender our lives to Christ. Think back on your your day or on, on a season in which you can recall coming to Christ and understanding his grace for you for the very first time. You remember how heavy life seemed to be? And then when you tasted of God's grace, all of a sudden, the first thing I experienced was just peace. Like, wow, I've been set free. There's peace in that. That's the peace Paul's talking about. Jesus refers to it in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it unto you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's not, the, it's not the peace offering that war will cease. It's not the peace offering that, um, you know, reflection and tranquility will bring. No, it's, it's the peace Paul's talking of here that abolishes all of God's charges against us. We're no longer guilty before God. Chew on that for a second. Let your mind go to the news. We've been seeing this a lot lately. Seems like there's a lot of stories in the courtroom. And the accused, right? And the verdict is being read. And the jury and the judge pronounces not guilty. And that camera goes on them. And think of just that overwhelming sense of being declared not guilty 
That's the peace that Paul is talking about that we need to grab hold of. And we need to allow it to grab hold of us. Because you see that I want to think with this many people that there's some of you still living under the guilt and shame of your past sins. There's some of you that you've been wrestling with these sins and you've been wrestling with this guilt a long time. You've not found rest. You've not found peace in God. Jesus has come that you may experience the peace that abolishes all of God's judgment against that sin. And so you're free this morning. Live like you've been set free. Amen? Amen. Number two. Verse two. We have access to God. It says, through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access to the King through the favor of another. Think about it this way. Have you ever been somewhere where you, you kind of go with an important person around this event? And, you know, you're, you're kind of proud that you're with them, and all of a sudden, you know, doors open, or we, you get the front row park in, front row seat, and you're feeling pretty good because, hey, you got access to the big cheese through your buddy. Well, it's the same way Christ has given us access to God our King. For me, I remember when I was a a little boy, four or five, my dad worked for the Atlanta Stadium, and we would go to the Braves games, and he worked in the um, uh, dining area after the game. And so I remember he would grab me, and I'd grab hold of him, and we'd walk through, and we'd meet the players, and, you know, they'd love the little kids, and they'd sign the balls. And so I had all these balls with all these stars on it, and it was because of my dad that I had access into that room and don't have any of the balls anymore. Played with them in the yard. Can you believe it? <laughs> then baseball cards made millions of dollars. I tore all those up too. But um, I had access to those guys. We have access by what Christ has accomplished to God. You see... This is so significant in light of our history as Christians, as our history as Christ followers. Because the Jews, they were kept from God by the veil in the temple. In fact, if you even go back before them, Adam and Eve were even removed from the garden, from God's presence. And then you have the Jews, God's chosen people, and all of a sudden... Covenant's renewed, then it's broken again, and here comes the veil. No longer can they go in to God. They have to wait once a year for the high priest to go in. And then the Gentiles, and then many of us, we come along. And there's this wall that's built in the temple, and it separates us from God. But Jesus comes. And he's placed upon the cross, and... As the nails are being pounded into his hands and his feet, and he takes his last breath. What happens? The veil is torn and the walls are crumbled in Ephesians chapter 2, and we have access to God Himself through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
And that's based on access of His grace as well, which is the third one. And this grace, this gift we have, this access we have, is grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. Not anything we can do. We can't even boast about it except boasting in the Lord. It's a gift. It's been given to us. And so we need to receive it this morning. Grace. We could talk all day about that. But I'll move on. Number four, hope. The hope we can have is certified and guaranteed through the promise of God who cannot lie according to Hebrews. This hope is confirmed in us by the work of the Holy Spirit written throughout His Word. You see, this is not an abstract hope. This is a hope that we have evidence. We have centuries that have gone by. Not only declaring the promises of God in His Word, the truth of God, the historical events of history, but we also have His Spirit dwelling within us that allows us in unique ways to experience true hope. Hope that the world sometimes finds hard to grab a hold of. You see, this hope that Christ is offering us, that Paul is talking about, it's a future hope. It's something for us to look forward to. The world is looking for this in many different ways. And this, this kind of brings the light to surface the restlessness that so many people in this world have, doesn't it? Because there's this moving hope. There's this disappearing and reappearing and disappearing hope because we tend to put hope in things. We tend to put hope in people, money, things that are there for a season, but then they're gone. See, the peace with God takes care of our past. Access to God takes care of our present. And then the hope seals the deal for our future. Amen? Amen. Okay. Number five, rejoice in our trials. Verses three and four, let me read this. It says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Okay. I don't know about you, but this is one thing I've been working on, my to-do list when I get to heaven. And... um, on page one, included in that to-do list, is a conference call or a chat with uh, Brother Paul and Brother James. Because James says in chapter 1, verse 2, that we are to rejoice, to have joy in our troubles and trials. And so I thought a good little conference call, maybe an arm around both of them and say, okay, y'all got some explaining to do on these troubles and trials and me to have joy in them. What is the deal with that, Right? And yet, Paul includes it as one of the benefits of God. That's why he paints such a beautiful picture of Christ doing the work for us. Because troubles and trials has a way of bringing purpose to life like nothing else can. Why did God choose this particular method? 
That's also on my to-do list. Um, but I'll ask others before I ask him, but, because I got a feeling for the first million years I will just be enthralled with his presence and who he is. Here in verses 3 and 4, Paul has four words that associate with these trials. The first one is to have joy, rejoice or take joy. The second one is these trials, they produce an endurance or a perseverance. They bring about in our lives a patience. Have you been in a trial lately? I have. It took a while for patience to work in me. (laughs) But it builds in us a patience like nothing else can. And that patience Lends to character. Other translations say proven character. Proven character is basically just the proof of our faith. You see, it's one thing to walk around when life's good, to rejoice and to brag about God and His goodness. But when life is hard, when life is difficult, when a loved one has passed or an injustice has been done, It really sends us to the crucible like nothing else. It's really the opportunity we have to prove our faith is real and sure. And then the last one is the hope. And that's basically that this this time of trials and trouble, it's a benefit to us because it allows us to see this world with God's perspective, which is, "Eh, this world's okay, but I'm ready for the next one. I'm ready for the one with no pain, no sin, no heartache, no broken relationships. That's the one I'm ready for. And so this hope is a benefit because it allows us to see our troubles and our trials through the eyes of God. The typical response the world throws at trials and troubles is this statement. Have you heard this before? Since there's nothing I can do about it, there's no sense in getting upset about it. Well, Paul is saying that if God is in control, then the most bitter human experiences we are called upon to endure, all of a sudden these become tolerable. We can actually glory in them because we know that God has promised to redeem every pain that we'll ever experience. The redeeming value that comes from God in the midst of our pain midst of our troubles, it's a benefit to us. It's God's design. We can't change it. We try and manipulate it. I do often. I try and avoid it. I'm not a good avoidance. I'm a, I'm, I'm a slow, so I don't run fast enough. It always seems to catch up with me. But it's God's design, and so we need to see it as a benefit. Number six, verses five through eight, the love of God. I trust you're not growing weary in these because I'm just going through them and I'm hoping that they're not landing on hardened hearts or deafened ears, but that they're landing in a fertile soil within your soul. It's causing you not to even pay attention to how I deliver them, but really causing you to gaze at God. Are you there? Shake your head. If you're asleep, stay asleep. I know the preacher, it ain't much, so... 
The love of God. Perhaps the biggest change in our personalities is the fact that the new capacity for love has been placed there by a supernatural work of grace through His Holy Spirit. See, the whole emphasis in these verses 5 through 8, and even the text that Paul's in right now, is that God doesn't wait for us to become righteous. He pursues us in our unrighteousness. He comes at us with crazy abandonment because he is deeply in love with us. The ones that he created, the ones that are here to bring him glory and honor. He doesn't wait for us to dress up our act, to get all the questions answered. No, this love of God is a complete work on him to us. This is not us loving God. This is God loving us. There may be some of you this morning that you would do anything to be loved. I got great news for you. (laughs) The deal of the lifetime is being offered this morning. And it's just believe. If you desire and want to be loved with an unconditional love, with a love with no tags or anything connected to it apart from who it's giving, who it's coming from, if that's the kind of love that this morning you would like to experience that you've never experienced before, God is offering that love to you through His Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And it's a love that you'll never work enough for. You'll never accomplish enough in your life. You'll never do enough good things. You'll never say enough prayers. Because it's not based on us. It's based on Him. Oh, the unconditional love of God. We can't earn it. We can't manipulate it. And brothers and sisters, we can't lose it. Seven, the Holy Spirit. I'll end with this, so I'll skip that one. And we'll move right to eight. The deliverance from wrath and judgment. Verses nine and ten. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more we shall be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. So Jesus Christ has saved us from the penalty of sin through His death. He is saving us right now from the power of sin by His resurrection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit into our lives. And He's going to save us in the future from the presence of sin because there will be no sin in heaven. And so your past is taken care of, your present God's got, and your future God's got. No more wrath. No more judgment. We've been declared holy and right in Him if you're a follower this morning, if you're a believer in Christ. Number nine is joy. This point, Paul encourages us to rejoice not only in the work of God, but much more in the person of God. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's like Paul, he's looking back. He comes to that moment where he's about ready to transition out of his thought, and he looks back and he goes, can you guys believe it? Can you believe what God has done for us? Can you believe that he would have done this for good people, much less sinners, that were at war with him? It's incredible to think is what Paul had to be going through his mind. The word reconciled in there, this is the act of God and not man. It's God's heart going out to us. See, reconciled basically just means we were enemies and now we're friends. And so it's God's heart going out to us who were once his enemies. Now he calls us his friends. And so he's reconciled us. And Paul's ending that section of verses with, it's the Lord Jesus and he reconciles us. I'll close with going back to the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, and the Holy Spirit is an incredible benefit and gift when you think about it. Just like troubles and trials are a way in which God has designed us to experience you know, patience and build in our character. The Holy Spirit is just amazing when you think about this. That the God of the universe has given us all of these things and He's not said, here they are. Go read the instruction manual and good luck. Thank goodness. He see being put together a swing set before. Um, but what he said was, and this is, this is phenomenal, his plan, and even Jesus said it, but his plan was, no, I will be in them. I, God, through the Holy Spirit and the work that Christ has accomplished on the cross, I will dwell with those who are my followers. Not some of me, not this weird, you know, Holy Ghost, you know, abstract kind of spirit that we just call on when we're in need. But God himself dwelling within this temple, which means a whole lot of stuff. But just a few things, it it means God is actually helping me think. God is actually helping me repent of my sin because he's bringing my conscience to bear in conviction. When I do something wrong, he brings the light. When I begin to make a wrong decision, the Spirit of God takes the truth of the Word of God. It comes to bear in my life. It allows me to reflect back on God's goodness. And why would I want to make this decision? The Spirit of God, he heals people. He ushers our prayers into the presence of God. Oh, God Himself living in us. What a plan. I mean, for us to be left on our own, to figure life out, I I can't even balance my checkbook, much less figure life out. When the pain of death comes, and the reality that, you know, the, the child that we anticipated for so long never made it out of the womb. 
What do we do in moments like that? Well, we house God. And He lives within us. And if that is the case, then at any time, we have access to all of these benefits through His Spirit. And here's the doing part. There's a couple things you need to do in order for the Spirit to be powerfully displayed through you. I know last week a lot of you heard Francis and all the things going on. It's the same Spirit of God that dwells within Francis. It dwells within us. The key to that is we have to have short accounts where there's sin before God. Because a holy God will not dwell in a dirty temple. He's proven that. We touched on that earlier with the veil. So we keep short accounts with God. uh, Short accounts with our sin with God. Then we ask the Spirit of God to fill us. To help us. And then we expect the Spirit of God to work on our behalf. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your benefits. How overwhelming the thought that you would do all of this for us. And yet, how sometimes I lose perspective and I, I live life like I've been sucking on a, a sour lemon and no joy, no freedom. Today, thank you for reminding me and us that there is great joy and great freedom in you. Help us to take in these truths and these benefits, God, and help them to reshape our motivations. Help them to reshape the way in which we see you and the way in which we live out our faith. God, would you give us great faith to believe them? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.